Welcome to Taking the Helm with Lynn McLaughlin. We're making the emotional well-being of our children and youth the number one priority. Lynn and her guests are helping us learn and model proven healthy emotional habits to become rock-solid support systems for ourselves, our families, and communities. Now, here's your host. Hello, everyone, and thanks again for joining us as we take the helm. And I want to thank those of you who've posted reviews of taking the helm. Apple seems to be the preferred place to post reviews, even though it's not easy to find. You have to scroll all the way down to the bottom and look for that purple writing that says write a review. I really appreciate you doing so. And, you know, just this time only because we're so close to Christmas. If you post a review and take a screenshot, Send me that screenshot by email at lynn at lynnmclaughlin.com. McLaughlin is M-C-L-A-U-G-H, like laugh, L-I-N.com. And I will send you a free ebook of either I Have Choices, I Can Calm My Mind, I Can Ground Myself, Is What I'm Thinking True, or I Can Check My Senses from the Power of Thought children's book series, where we teach kids from a young age, from preschool all the way to grade five. Actually, it works for any of us, including adults specific strategies to manage our emotions. And if you're a primary or junior teacher, this is an exceptional tool to use in your classrooms. With that, I want to thank our last guest, Teresa Alexander Inman. If you've got little ones at home or children with special needs, we talked about everything early intervention, what action we can take when we see that our child is not meeting those expected developmental milestones. And she shared some very specific strategies. I invite you to listen to that episode at your convenience. Now, let me introduce today's guest, Emily McDermott. She's a wife, a mother of two energetic boys, and a simplicity seeker. She's also the host of the top 1.5% globally ranked podcast, Moms Overcoming Overwhelm, where she helps moms declutter their homes, heads, and hearts. Emily enjoys writing, poetry, dancing, and eating peanut butter out of the jar. We're going to talk about the connection between clutter, anxiety, and stress, and how decluttering can have a positive effect on our children and our family's well-being. Thanks for being with us today, Emily. Thank you so much for having me, Lynn. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. You know, it's very interesting when you think about decluttering. I I really, before you and I had our get to know you call, did not associate it really with de-stressing or the well-being of uh, of my family, myself and my family. It's very interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of science behind clutter and it's not just like stuff we aren't using. And so when I started diving into the science of it, it just was really fascinating. And my husband's a facts and figures type of guy. So I like being able to come to him and say, I'm not crazy. This is actually stressing me out. And like, here's the science behind it. So I'm happy to empower your listeners to do the same. Well, you know, since we talked, I I have noticed some things. Absolutely. But let's ask the big question I always do with every one of my guests is what brought you to what you're doing today? What's the history here that made you say, aha, this is what I want to do to help other people make changes in their own lives. <laughs> yes, I did not go to college and graduate in uh, stuff management so <laughs> or decluttering. Um, I actually came to this through my husband and my journey uh, with infertility. And so we were trying to have a baby and nothing was working. And when we went to go check into it, we actually were diagnosed with unexplained infertility, which pretty much means you're healthy, but you're not getting pregnant. And at the time I was working full time, the chronic, you know, people pleaser, perfectionist, procrastinist, all the things that were making me say yes to things I really shouldn't have been saying yes to. And I realized that if we were going to be successful, if we were really going to be able to have a baby, which is, you know, at the time it was just what I wanted more than anything in the world that we needed to make the physical space in our home, but also I needed to make like the emotional space and the space with my calendar and time in order to welcome this baby. And at the time I learned about minimalism and simplicity and decluttering, I read something by two guys that call themselves the minimalists and it was just really eye-opening like wow there's a connection between all of this stuff and all the things I'm saying yes to and my stress and luckily we were able to conceive my oldest via IVF 
And then we had a surprise with my second. We didn't need any medical intervention. And then I had two under two unexpectedly. And so then it was more the decision fatigue, which there's a connection between stuff and decision fatigue. And I had postpartum anxiety and I was just very happy. I had that foundation of simplifying and decluttering in my life. So it has served me in every season of my motherhood. And now I'm helping overwhelmed moms declutter their homes, heads and hearts. So that's what I'm all about. That's how I got here. Wow. So much to unpack. Well, congratulations on your children. And Hey, I'm with you two under two. Uh, my, yeah. my, uh, my second and third were 13 months apart. Oh so. my gosh, God <laughs> bless you. Wow. It's <laughs> interesting how you talk about decision fatigue. Cause then I go back in that time. I can absolutely see that. Cause it's just, what am I doing now? What do I do next? What do I do? Why well, five things to do at the same time? What am I supposed to do now? Right. So uh, yeah, minimalism. So I let's. I want to jump into because I think your blog. I read uh, your your most recent blog article. Why do moms today need minimalism? I think is your most recent. Let Let's talk about uh, parents, moms in general. What does minimalism do for us and our families? Yeah. So I like to look at our time, energy, focus, attention as our most precious resources as moms and as parents in general, and. When we think about clutter as not being neutral, but actually draining us of these things, then I see decluttering and minimalism as this reclamation of these resources and the things that are most important to us. And so when we can look, I actually think about, you know, four things that clutter is stealing from us as busy moms and busy parents. It's having to do, and I can go into this a little bit more, but our time, our peace, our energy and our health. And it also impacts the health of our children. So when we think about why we need it, I have never met a mom or any of the moms that join my Facebook group that say, I have plenty of time. I have so much energy. (laughs) Everything is great. You know, it's always like I'm stretched too thin. I'm overwhelmed. I, you know, I'm saying yes to many things, or I just cannot manage and handle. I'm exceeding my capacity. I talk a lot about capacity-based minimalism that, Mm. you know, the capacity is what we can manage and what our kids can manage, not what can fit in our home and fit in our schedules. So when we look at these things that clutter is actually stealing from us and being able to understand like, no, I want to reclaim what matters most to me so that I can spend those resources on the things like my family, my career, maybe hobbies, like things that we don't do anymore because we're so busy. Mm. And so it's really important that we understand the weight of our stuff. And it's not just the physical manifestation, but also the emotional, the mental clutter, all of those that come along with it. I know I just said a lot. (laughs) Well, I'm trying, Lots of to, stuff. <laughs> trying to think of a, a, a concrete connection uh, and I, I can think of a few, right? So, I mean that, yeah, we all, we all deal with it. I dealt with it. There's that disaster toy room. There's toys all over the house. You know, there's so many of them and they touch them for one minute or you bought these beautiful Christmas gifts and they're playing in the box, the wrapping box, mm-hmm. but, but that is staring at you in the face all day long. Yeah. And it takes you away from that time that you have with your children because you feel the need to go do something about it. You, the need to clean up is that that's that's one example I think. Of- mm-hmm. Yeah, and also your brain registers things that are clutter as undone tasks. So if you were to go into your kitchen and you have things all over the counters, and I would go in there and say, okay, I need to put that dish away. I need to sign that paper. I need to, you know, put this where it belongs, and so your brain actually sees that visual clutter as visual stimulus overwhelm and it you're you're not able to focus it, it impacts our focus and so forth and so when we are going into the toy room on the umpteenth time and things are everywhere then not only are we saying oh my gosh i need to do something about this this room is always messy but then a lot of times i find especially with moms we're blaming ourselves and we're having that well, what's wrong with me? I can't, you know, stay on top of this. Like I should be able to do such and such. And so we actually have that negative emotional clutter also because we're judging ourselves because we're not able to manage our home. And I should be able to do this, you know, is what I hear a lot from moms. Yeah, totally agree. And clutter isn't always necessarily in the form of uh, material objects, right? right? 
Yeah. Give us another examples because I I never thought this way before. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So one of the examples that I love comes from um, a guest that I had. She is a mom of nine living in Canada and they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. She's like, we don't have porch pickup here. (laughs) It's not a thing. But she said that people were very kindly giving her hand-me-downs, you know, for the kids. And she said, but the inventory was mental clutter to Mm. me. And so when we think about the fact that we have the things that we use maybe all the time, but then the things that we don't, that is mental clutter because it's the inventory of what I have. And the more that you have, the harder it is for you to mentally manage that inventory I know when I go to Costco and if I haven't actually checked what's in my house, then I'm like, oh, I obviously need this industrial size of goldfish, you know, (laughs) and I come home and lo and behold, it's already there because I didn't check my inventory. And if I have, you know, too much, I'm unable to manage that mentally. So I just thought that was fascinating because our inclination is, well, it's free. It's a gift. I have to say yes. I need to have this in my home, but to have this mom of nine saying, no, I don't keep like tons of clothes for the kids because it is not worth my mental space Mm -hmm. to have to do that. I just found that really fascinating. You think about that, about our own closets and our own clothing. (laughs) Yeah. The objects. What about time? What about the schedules that we, is that a form of clutter as well? When we clog up our timetables, our schedules and drive our kids here and drive our kids there and. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. So normally we look at clutter as, of course, the physical clutter and then more of the time or the calendar clutter and then the mental clutter are kind of the three buckets that normally people talk about. And there is a concept that I love. I didn't come up with it, but I use it all the time in my own life and with my clients called the container concept. And the container concept is that we are having an artificial boundary around something. So for example, in your calendar, you could schedule yourself completely, you know, however many hours a day, but we want to put these artificial time blocks around. I want to have this be a non-negotiable. So this is going in first, you know, then I'm able to do this. And really, again, it comes back to that capacity concept. Yes, I could have my kids in three activities a piece and be driving around everywhere, But I have to go back to what matters most to me and my family and what our values are and realize that I would be exceeding my capacity as a mom. And also they're probably exceeding their capacity after a full day of school and having to go to activities every single day of the week. So for my family, we do a one activity per season type of thing. This is, my kids are seven and five. This is the first time they've been in sports (laughs) Uh to give you an example. So it was really important to me to have the boundary around mealtime, non-negotiable, you know, dinner time, non-negotiable in our house. We are home for that. If nothing else, we are home for that. Even if we're doing it at 4.30 or 6.30, we're doing Mm -hmm. it together. That is my value. That is the container for that then everything else is going to fit around that. So that's how I use minimalism and that container concept in my schedule. I love the way you describe that. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. You shared with me that there are four things that clutter robs from us and our families. Yeah. So the first is our time. And again, 95% of the women that join my Facebook group, they say, I don't have time to declutter. I don't have time to declutter. And no matter what, Um, business you're in, that seems to be the primary reason, or some might say excuse, why they're unable to move forward. And so when we think about the time that it takes, we are having to maintain our stuff. We're having to find our stuff. The amount of time we spend (laughs) finding lost stuff is pretty um, mind-blowing. And also we have to clean around it or, you know, clean it. And, you know, I always talk about the stuff shuffle where you're taking that bunch of papers that's on the kitchen counter, you move it to the dining room and then you move it there. And so all of that, what takes up your space takes up your time. And there is a statistic, it's from a kind of unlikely strange source, but I love it because I find it true in my own life. So it was the National Soap and Detergent Association, who knows? (laughs) However, they found that in an uncluttered home, there was 40% less housework. And I can personally attest to that because I am able to clean my home and maintain it 
do these daily resets in different areas very easily. So the first thing that clutter is stealing from us and that we can reclaim is our time. And that's probably the biggest for every parent I've ever met. <laughs> well, and everybody who's listening is saying, oh yeah, house yeah. cleaning. <laughs> who, doesn't want to, who doesn't want to cut down on that? <laughs> um, yeah. Again, I've never met anyone who wants to clean more. It's yeah, always no, that we want to spend like less that. time. Yeah. <laughs> so the second is our um, peace. And again, have a lot of anxious moms overwhelmed. I mean, my podcast is Moms Overcoming Overwhelm, right? And so there is one study that is really fascinating where researchers, this was in the United States, they went around homes with couples. And if it was mostly, they were heterosexual, so wife and husband. And if the wife was saying that the house was disorganized or unfinished or cluttered, then the cortisol stress hormone levels of those women were higher than the women that were describing their homes as comfortable or cozy. And the men did not, sorry guys, the men did not have the same increase in cortisol levels, which was interesting. And so the researchers found that probably because in the United States, women are still traditionally responsible for home management, that that was probably why, but these women also had higher levels of depressed mood, more difficult time transitioning from work to home. So if you come home from work and you don't want to step into your home because it's so chaotic and your home is supposed to be this haven, but you're like waiting an extra couple minutes before mm. you go in, it's that feeling of like, I don't want to go, you know, I don't want to step in there because it's even less peaceful than what you're experiencing in the outside world. So the second is our peace and just recognizing there's a direct link between clutter and stress. Mm, fascinating. Another fascinating point. Yeah. And that oh. kind of goes into health. So health, of course, emotional health and stress and anxiety are related to health, but also it impacts our sleep. So there's higher sleep disturbances and we get lower quality sleep if we are in a cluttered bedroom. And in my bedroom, my husband has these piles of half dirty, half clean clothes. <laughs> and I say, are these dirty or clean? He's like, both. I'm like, all right. So sometimes you have to kind of shield your eyes from the other side of the bedroom, but, um, you know, our sleep, I've never met again, a parent that didn't want better quality or more sleep. And the other has to do with how we eat. So one of these studies, I think it was 2015 had women in cluttered kitchens. And if they were given the choice between crackers, cookies, and carrots, Lynn, what do you think they chose? Cookies. Cookies. That's exactly Easiest right. at my fingertips. Yeah, little exactly. nothing to clean up, nothing to prep. <laughs> <laughs> and also just having that stress feeling for me personally, I go for the sugar and carbs every single time. Uh-huh. The carrot is not going to do it. And so it is actually impacting our health, you know, how we eat, how we sleep. So that would be the third thing, actually, our physical health. This is something I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around, Emily. So my, if my bed is totally clear and it's perfectly comfortable in my bed, why is the clutter beside me stopping me from having a good sleep? I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, it goes back to the brain registering it as undone tasks and okay. then also kind of like our focus and attention. And so if I go to sleep and it's kind of like having the sink with the dirty dishes in your bedroom. <laughs> yeah, there's something you left know, undone. I something left undone or yeah. that nagging like is the front door locked? Like it's something that hasn't been <laughs> taken care of and that's why, you know, in our bedroom if our home is supposed to be a haven, our bedroom is supposed to be the haven within the haven, haven. right? Okay, and so it. it's kind of like we want that to be the most peaceful place in the house if possible. Understood. Okay, what's the fourth? The fourth is our energy. And so this goes back to decision fatigue. So when you're getting, okay, you and I are getting dressed in the morning, we go into our closets and Lynn, I'm not, I haven't ever seen your closet, but let's just say. (laughs) I'm trying, I'm trying. So 50 shirts and 20 pairs of pants and 20 pairs of shoes. And I have 10 shirts and five pairs of pants and five pairs of shoes. Who has an easier time making a decision what to wear in the morning. You do. I don't have that that many, okay. but I totally okay. understand the comparison. <laughs> let's to the be fair to this conversation. Yeah. Let's be fair to Lynn. She doesn't. <laughs> I've really but, been trying. Really been that's trying. That's good. Yes, absolutely, you've got the easier time. Yeah, much, and so much the, easier decision. Yeah, right. So the more stuff we have, the more choices we have to meet, make between those things, and then decision fatigue 
is the deteriorating quality of our decisions over the course of time. So supposedly we make 35,000 decisions a day. I always say it's more for parents because we're having to, depending on the age of your child, make decisions on their behalf. I'm helping my boys still. What are you wearing today? What are you eating? What are we doing? You know, they're working through their routines with them. And so it is really an energy suck because at the end of the day, I'm ready to go to bed. And my husband says, um, I really want to talk to you about the taxes. <laughs> and I go, nope, you know, because we're just so spent with all of the decisions we've had to make. So we want to simplify the decisions that we can so that we can save that energy for the decisions we have to make. So if I can simplify getting dressed or decide once that I want to do laundry every day, which I do, I just, I don't want to think about it. I just want it to be a one-time decision. Then we're able to save that energy for what matters most instead of making decisions about our stuff. Okay. I'm going to say something that might not be popular, but it's a fact. I just live this. I mean, totally different context. My kids are in their 20. 20s. My husband and I just flew to Australia and we were with two of them. And I I was exhausted at some points because I felt like I was trying to keep everybody happy. I was the decision maker. I was the planner. I was the schedule. I arranged the rides, the transport, the whenever where are we going for dinner? So I think as women, as mothers, we I would say more of us suffer from decision mm-hmm. fatigue because we're making those decisions for everyone. We have we just seem to hold that responsibility. I don't know if it's maternal. I don't know if it's role related in society today, but I agree with you. And also because of technology, I think about me making a decision about buying socks for my kids versus my grandmother. Okay. My grandmother goes to the one store in town and buys socks for her kids. I go on Amazon and I go and I look for socks and then there's one five-star review, but then a one-star review. Oh, yeah. So I look for the next one and there's like, oh, this sock, you know, that wore out in a month. And so, no, I'm not going to get that one. And then it's an hour later, my kids still don't have socks. And I say, well, I guess they're just going to wear sandals. <laughs> oh yeah. And so I just oh. think about like the prevalence of all of the choices and, you know, my kid wants to watch a show. It's not turn on the TV. There's a show. We have five different streaming services and they have, you know, preferences between the streaming services. Yeah. It's and not so, like the TV guide. It's eight o'clock. You have exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So I also think <laughs> it's, yeah, there's more complexity just because of the choices that we have due to some of these technologies. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, there's some choices we can't control, but there are some that we can. And so we want to simplify those as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes makes sense. And so many things that you've um, brought up, really, I hadn't considered before. I don't think our listeners, many of them had either. I mean, the, the impact on technology around decision fatigue itself, yeah. a, a incredible connection to think about. Yeah. Decision fatigue, I think is not something we do think about related to our stuff, certainly. Um, but one of the questions that I always recommend people ask themselves is, what unnecessary decisions can I remove from my life? And just being able to look at for a season, am I willing to have the same kind of breakfast every day? You know, for a season, am I okay having like a, a uniform or I've heard it called a mama form, <laughs> you know, where I'm wearing like just kind of the same kind of clothes. And my aunt just reminded me yesterday that um, Mark Zuckerberg and I think uh, some of these other like leaders, they wear the same thing pretty much every day, like the black t-shirt with the, sh- with the jeans. Oh. And it's not because they're trying to be boring. It's because they say, I want to free up my brain power for more important things. And so I'm just going to wear this type of thing every day to make my life easier. So no matter who you are and what you have going on, there's something that you can simplify so that you can preserve that energy for like, where is my kid going to college or how am I going to do the itinerary for our trip to Australia? And you can focus on that. So you do, uh, you have a business decluttering coaching services. So someone like me, and you know, you know a little bit about me. Um, there's just so many possible first is I always say baby steps. What's my first step? What, how do you pe- help people find what that first step to decluttering is going to be? Is it about a reflection as what is the most trying thing in my home, in my life? And that's the first thing I need to attack. 
Yeah, well, I would say when it comes to the tactical, I do something called the three C's, which I can go through pretty quickly. But the first is check your consumption because people will say, oh, you know, I keep decluttering. I keep decluttering. Is this ever going to be over? (laughs) And I said, like, what's coming to your doorstep? Like, do you know the Amazon delivery guy by name? Like, are you guys friends? You know, (laughs) you have to make sure you understand, am I making intentional purchases and what's coming in? Because that's going to impact how easily things go out. So that's the first thing. And the second capacity, like we spoke about, you know, focusing not so much like my home can hold this much, or I, you know, need all of these books because I might read them someday. Like that's aspirational clutter. And that's a big thing for moms too, because our, what we're able to handle and what we're able to do with our time is always changing because, you know, of our kids. And so recognizing our capacity. And then the third is that container concept. So, Um, using it tactically, like if you said, okay, I think I'm ready to declutter books. Like I definitely have too many. They're on my floor. They're, you know, overflowing everywhere. I would say, okay, how much space do you want to allot to books? That's like within your capacity to manage it. Okay. I want to have two bookshelves. Great. So we're going to take all the books. We have all the books together. This is our artificial boundary. And I do this with my five and seven-year-olds. We play a game called love, like, maybe, no. So we're going to start with the loves. You put everything you love that you um, read all the time or you reference a lot, maybe for your work, any of those things that goes first, then the likes. And as the space is filling up, you say, okay, for those maybes, I don't know, maybe they're not going to fit. For the no's, we're going to donate or you know have a donation pickup or something. For the maybes, you have a choice. You can either be super brave <laughs> and donate those knowing they don't fit in the space. I'm okay without them. Or you can use an out of sight, out of mind bin. Uh-huh. That is a bin you can't see through. The kids can't get into. They can't go in and say, mom, what's that? You know, But you know that it's there. And then you put a sticky note on top for 30, 60, or 90 days, a reminder in your phone. And when that reminder comes, ask yourself, have I missed anything? Did I want to read any of these books? And if you haven't, then try to be brave enough to let it go, knowing that in 90 days you didn't think about it. And if you do think about it, it's right there. And you can oh, grab brilliant that book strategy. and you can just do it. And that works for kids stuff too, with toys. We do that all the time with toys because I find kids, if it is out of sight, it is out of mind. Yes. And so yeah. we you see know, the rotating toys, rotating, yeah. by season, rotating by month. Rotating, well, Emily, exactly. Yeah. Emily, we need to go to break. I want to ask a question yes. when we come back. We have so much more to cover, in, 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 including how um, how clutter is causing anxiety and stress, and not just us in our in our children. Mm-hmm. But I, I want to know how we think about decluttering for those things that have been passed down to us from generations. All you know, your grandmother's wedding dress, the <laughs> the 50th anniversary plates that we tend to hold on to when maybe. They don't really have any meaning to us, but we have this obligation we still feel. Okay? Yes. All right. We'll talk about that in a minute. We'll be right back, everybody. Stick with us. (laughs) Our children are growing up in a world that is more complex than ever. It's time to start thinking proactively. Meet Zerko and the children who glow in the color they are feeling because they haven't learned to control their emotions yet. In the Power of Thought Children's series, we're not only teaching children about emotional vocabulary, but how to recognize how they are feeling and what they can do about it. We live on an imaginary planet called Tezra, where every character is named after a crystal. Each of the five books in the series takes children into a situation they can relate to, but teaches problem-solving skills and evidence-based strategies they can use for life. This series was developed in collaboration with clinicians, educators, parents, and guardians, and it's the winner of the Mom's Choice Award. Check it out at lynnmclaughlin.com under the Books tab. You are listening to Taking the Helm with host Lynn McLaughlin. Now, let's get back to the show. 
All right, we are back from break with Emily McDermott as our guest today. We've talked about all things decluttering, how it's affecting our our decision-making, causing decision fatigue, anxiety, stress. And just before the break, Emily shared a phenomenal strategy on uh, what she does with her children to help them declutter. And I asked the question, what do we do in our homes with the things that are so meaningful to our ancestors, my great-grandmother, my grandmother, my mother that have been passed down to us and have been sitting in a closet for 15 or 20 years. <laughs> yes, it's very, very- And I know they're not meaningful to my children. Right. I'll say that, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And that's an important that's an important piece of it. Um, there's a couple of different ways that we can look at this. And there is this concept actually of Swedish death cleaning, which is kind of popular in the minimalism community. And all that means actually the woman that wrote the book, The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning, she was like in her 80s, I think. And she had several family members pass away and she had to go through all of their stuff in their homes, right? And she did not want her children having to go through that pain because just the stuff itself is really hard. And I know many of your listeners probably have had to do that maybe for loved ones or parents. Mm -hmm. And so we want to think about something that might be a little bit morbid, but it's important, which is if I were to pass away today, who would be responsible for going through my stuff? And would they know what to do with it? Would they even know why it was important to me and if it was important to them? So for me, I did this actually in my um, 30s uh, several years ago where I was able to use some of the strategies in the book, but it, it pretty much boils down to when it comes to things that are sentimental to us because they've been in the family or whatever, we want to ask ourselves, do we need to have this physical thing? Or would a photo and a story suffice? Mm. So sometimes you want to have the tactile thing because that's important to you and that's fine. I um, spoke to a mom whose son um, passed away as an infant. She's a minimalist and has been for years. She's held on to every single thing he ever touched because for her in this season, that is important for her to have the tactile things. A a photo isn't going to cut it. But maybe for some of these things that either we're holding on out of guilt or obligation, or we know that our kids are not necessarily going to want, but we don't want to burden them with having to go through it. We want to ask ourselves, can a photo suffice with the story? We want our kids to know where this came from. Why is it important? Mm-hmm. Who, you know, might have a piano in my house that my dad gave my mom as a wedding present that I learned to play on. Why is that? Why is that piano important to our family? We want to share that. So I would say that would be kind of the, the first step. And then I have some other questions that you can ask yourself, but I'm talking a lot. So I'm going to stop for a second. <laughs> no, that's very, very helpful. I think about, you know, uh, great grandmother's China, right? Yeah. Or the China we got at our own weddings. It's not, China's not something that people do anymore. <laughs> yeah. Right. And yet it's, it's, you know, people have full China cabinets that are just sitting there collecting dust. And that's just one example. And of course, I, that's my perspective, everybody. <laughs> I'm yeah. not saying it's meaningless to other, uh, and to, uh, to other families. Uh, but it, but in my family, I could probably let that go tomorrow and n- nobody would miss it. Yeah. Right. And so one of the questions, um, and I didn't come up with this, but I love it is how would I feel if this spontaneously combusted? <laughs> <laughs> I like and it. so would you feel relief because it's taking up so much space in your house and it really doesn't mean much to you? Or would you be sad? If you would be sad, then you should either definitely keep the physical thing or take that photo and have the story along with it. But if you would feel relief, recognize that your grandmother doesn't, you know, even if she's passed, never wanted to burden you, right? She doesn't want you to have to manage something in your home that is not useful or helpful to you. And so I recognize that. And also if you want to keep it, display it have this curated mentality about, I'm not going to keep it in a dusty box somewhere. I'm actually going to use it. I'm going to display it. I'm going to have it be part of our lives. And so then I can keep maybe the best of the best that reminds me of that person and then be able to look around my home and say, oh, wow, I remember when my grandmother did such and such with this. And it's like a positive thing rather than 
you know, some closet somewhere that you have something stuffed away that never sees the light of day. So I think that that's probably also um, a helpful approach. And there's just one other thing I want to say about um, sentimental things should have a positive sentiment attached. If it's a negative sentiment, you want to recognize that even if it takes up a little bit of physical space, it takes up a lot of emotional space. And so one question you can ask yourself is, does this represent a wound or a scar? So someone's gone through a divorce and there's still things maybe from that person, or maybe their loved ones passed away, you know, their spouse has passed away. They're not ready to part with the things yet because it represents that wound. But over time, if it eventually is able to heal into a scar, maybe it's time that I can let that go because I've been able to heal. So those are some hopefully helpful strategies for sentimental items. Very, very helpful. Okay. I think we've talked about this in a roundabout way. You know, when we declutter ourselves and we're in a place where we're not suffering from decision fatigue, we're, we're pretty clear. We're pretty happy. We don't have all this stuff pulling us our attention away from our children. How else does it positively impact our children growing up? Yeah. So especially when children are young, we know that their brains are, you probably know this much better than I do. Their brains are developing, I think until they're like 21 or 22. And so, yeah. And so we don't always think about that as parents and at least when they're young, they're experiencing everything by their senses. You know, you think even a baby's putting things in their mouths and toddlers kind of getting into everything. And because of that, when there is too much in the environment, I talked about visual stimulus overwhelm for us as adults. It is that for children, but it's also tactile stimulus overwhelm because they're kind of involved in everything with their senses. And so let's take the the stuffed playroom. Your three-year-old goes in there and they do what I call the dump and go. They take out the bin, they (laughs) dump it out. They take out the next bin, they dump it out and they keep going. And as parents, we say to ourselves, oh, my child is deprived they're bored. They don't know what to play with. And so I need to go out to target right now and get them more to play with. No, no, they're overwhelmed. They're completely overwhelmed by the amount that is in their view that is in their sensory experience. And this isn't even, I mean, I'm not a child. um, I'm not a pediatrician. I'm not a child psychologist, but I do know that children, they can get very overwhelmed very easily when there's just like too much. Right. And so we want to, as parents, be able to recognize that and recognize that an uncluttered, peaceful environment is going to help our children better emotionally regulate and also better be able to play more deeply with the toys that they have. And there's several studies to support this, but, you know, having five toys instead of a hundred, they're going to play more deeply with those toys. But as parents, especially in the United States, our thought is, well, my kids obviously need more, more, more in order for them not to be bored because bored is like the kiss of death, you know, (laughs) for for parents like, oh my gosh, my kid is bored. I have to give him a tablet or give him this or give him that or give him the Mm -hmm. snack or everything. And, you know, kids don't even know what to do with themselves if they don't have something constantly entertaining them. And so I think it is doing a disservice to our children if we are thinking that, oh, more is what's going to help them. At least in my experience with my own kids, less has really helped it be more peaceful. Now they're still boys and they're still running to wrestle each other and, you know, (laughs) but it has helped as far as like, it's really easy to clean up. I mean, they can clean up in five minutes Mm -hmm. and it's not like it's all being left for me because they're so all of a sudden they become wet noodles and they can't remember how to clean anything up. Again, that has to do with the overwhelm of -hmm. just what's in the space. So I guess people in my generation did it right when we shifted the toys in the general, in the toy room every month month. and then you, you know, flipping them around. You're right. Out of sight, out of mind. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let it, let's talk about custom poetry. You offer service. (laughs) It's so fascinating to me. It's it's very good, Emily. Yeah. I've been writing poems since I was like eight or nine and always did it just for family and friends. And gosh, I think it's been about maybe five or six years ago, I decided, you know, this might be something like this is not a common skill 
or gift. I see it as a gift personally that I have. Um, and so that has been one part of my business when people have weddings, uh, anniversaries, birthdays, retirements, funerals, you name it. And they'll reach out to me and I ask them some questions and then I'm able to take the answers, create a poem that they're able to present to their loved ones. So the other cool thing about what I do on the decluttering side is that it's a clutter-free gift. And so, (laughs) which is great because then you're able to give something, someone something very meaningful without cluttering up your home. So yes, the poetry is just a really fun thing. And I'm just very blessed and happy to get to do it. All right. And you have a Facebook group, Decluttering Tips and Support for Overwhelmed Moms. Is that public? Is that private? It is. Yeah, it's public. And I know you'll probably link to it in the show notes, um, but I love that group. It's I think we have about 300 moms now, and we do these biweekly decluttering challenges for 15 minutes a day for five days because no mom has two, three hours or even an entire weekend like to themselves. And if they do, they're not going to declutter their home. (laughs) And we do these very short spurts and I have recommendation of kind of where to start in your home and to have it be uh, easy and accessible. So yeah, we do decluttering challenges there and it's a lot of fun. Well, when you think about the end result, 15 minutes a day, I think we could, yeah, I could manage 15 minutes a day. Most of us can. Yeah. And that's why my solo episodes are 15 minutes or less. Cause I said, well, you can pop me in the earbuds and then declutter as you're hopefully getting some motivation and encouragement. And the first time you do it, you have motivation to do it for the second day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. I mean, people talk about like, wow, this feels really good that you're able because you are, yeah. you're lifting the lifting that physical weight from your home, but also sometimes it's more the emotional weight and being able to get rid of that feels really good. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. A podcast, your podcast, 1.5%, the top 1.5% globally ranked, and it's called Moms Overcoming Overwhelm. How long have you been doing this, Emily? And uh, let's talk about what you bring for moms who want to learn from all of your guests. Well, it's been a little over a year. It actually just a week ago hit top 1%. So I'm really excited. (laughs) I know it seems like a silly thing to be excited about, but- No, um... it is not. Congratulations. (laughs) And so, yeah, I do two episodes a week. On Tuesdays, I do those solo episodes. And on Thursdays, I do interviews with moms who have- overcome overwhelm through decluttering or simplifying routines, that kind of thing. And it's just been such a joy. And I started as a blogger primarily, and then moving into this audio format has been really great. I feel like it's just a great way to be able to reach moms that are on the go or doing chores in the home and be able to connect with them. So yeah, I'm planning at least to continue the twice a week uh, for now and, uh, do it for as long as I can. It's been a joy. Now the guests that come onto your podcast and the people in your Facebook group, do they all realize the connection between the clutter they have and the anxiety and stress that it's causing? I would say yes. And I have, I talk about it a lot on the podcast. So even so many, you know, listening for the first time would probably hear about that connection. And um, for the interviews that I have, we've been able to dive into not just the physical clutter, but then working on the emotional and relational clutter. You know, we're recording this before Thanksgiving and a lot of people before the holidays, they have a lot of anxiety about being around family members (laughs) that don't maybe have the same beliefs or opinions that they do. And so we talk a lot about, you know, decluttering toxic relationships and we're able to dive into because clutter is so multifaceted and it's been really interesting. And for the moms in the group, we have different layers of accountability and we're just really cheering each other on to be like, yeah, set your timer for the 10 minutes report back. I give away free coaching and coffee gift cards. It's kind of an incentive and it's just been great. And people will say, I feel more peaceful I'm able to not be so reactive with my kids. I'm able to actually sit and be like not stressed out looking around. And that kind of affirmation and confirmation is just, that's better. I mean, that's better for me than anyone getting my coaching services, just like people being able to experience the benefits 
because I've been able to experience them. It's been just really life-changing for me. Well, two things, two connections here. Yeah. Yes, we're recording before Thanksgiving, but if this is coming out just before Christmas, so same premise. Okay, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> same premise. And, 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 you know, I think about when, when I, and I have started to do de- decluttering. Absolutely. It's been a couple of years now. And I just think uh, this is the last time I'm going to go through this room before we move. Even if we don't move for 10 more years, it's the last time. Nothing's coming in here again, unless I make a conscious decision that it's needed to come in here. So I find when I sit at the table or I'm with my family, I can be more focused and my mind isn't wandering to all the other things I have to do in the evening or what didn't get finished during the day or what I have to do to get ready tomorrow. It's just, it's just so much more enjoyable. Yes. I tell, I want to tell a little story about, uh, last summer It was after my son, my oldest son's wedding. And we were all sitting in the backyard. My, my kids are all over the world. We were sitting in the backyard and I, 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 I almost got up to do dishes. I almost got up and walked to walk to the kitchen. And I looked and I went, oh my God, my son, my new daughter-in-law, my, my daughter and my other son, we're all sitting here together. I almost walked away from it. Mm-hmm. I had to be aware that that was a moment that was the most important moment. I call it, I, whatever you want to call it. I think there's a connection here in some way to yes, what we're talking about, but it's being aware and being able to say none of that other stuff matters. This is what's important to me in this time. I could have missed that 45 yeah. minute amazing conversation about memories and what the future might hold and celebrations. Yeah. Sometimes we're decluttering our shoulds, right? Our should statements. Like I should be in there cleaning the dishes right now. Oh. And we have to really declutter that, you know, the should statements um, from, and I find that a lot, especially with moms that we have a lot of those. And I would say one of the things also that I do schedule wise is this time blocking concept, right? Which I'm sure people have done, but to do that for things that are as minute as the dishes, like I will be doing the dishes at this particular time. And so if I walk by a full sink of dishes, I can realize that that's okay because I know it's going to happen at a particular time. Mm -hmm. So I can enjoy the time with my family now because I know that that has been set aside. And even for our to-dos, like you have the to-dos ping-ponging in your head and whatever. Well, I know maybe on you know Friday at two o'clock, that is when I focus on the to-dos that have happened for the last couple of days. I'm going to call the doctor's office. I'm going to you know, make the appointment to bring my car in for service. But it has a spot. It has a container in your schedule. And so you don't have to have the mental clutter of all that because you know that it has been planned and taken care of. And that's how I kind of use that to, again, but sometimes it is the reminding yourself in the moment, what is most important here? Most important is the time and the connection. It isn't something that I could do later, right? Because that moment may never return. Yes, exactly. That moment is never going to return. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's over. It's over. So a container for errands. I love that concept. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We've got our listeners ready to go. What's the first thing they should do in their home? Okay. The first thing I recommend is not even in your home. Oh, Oh, it's in your car. Why in your car, right? It's a small contained space, not emotional. We want the most unemotional, unsentimental areas and start with those. So usually in your car, it's trash, recycling, or things that need to be relocated back into your home. Then when you're driving around, you're like, this is fantastic. I have a clean car. And then I recommend the bathroom because you might have expired medication or half used makeup or whatever, again, easy decision-making, then maybe the fridge, you know, if you declutter your fridge and your pantry with expired food and moldy food, that is decluttering. And so you can do that for that 10, 15 minutes, feel really good. And then, you know, the other thing is just always starting with your own stuff first. We're not going to go to the spouse or partner stuff or our kids stuff. We're starting with our stuff first. So those would be some examples of where to start. Oh, I think about the cabinet in my bathroom and you mentioned a couple of things, medications, blah, blah, but the, you know, there's, there's a tiny little bit of this, yeah. uh, <laughs> of, uh, this laundry detergent in there because somebody was allergic to it. So I had to buy another kind of laundry detergent. There's three, there's five different types of sunscreen. There's like, yeah, wow. But then I get to the point where well, I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste it. Right. Yeah. And that, again, you have, you can be someone that is a frugal person or someone that cares about the environment or not wanting to waste and not an or, and you can recognize that your time and your peace and your energy is more important 
And so you can make the decision. Also buy nothing groups, which are pretty prevalent across the US at least, but also around the world. People will take like, hey, I tried this detergent. It didn't work for my family. It's like 95% full. Does anyone want it? And people take everything. <laughs> are these everything. on are these on social media? Buy yeah, they're, they're usually they have their own app, but they are Facebook based and they're hyper local. Oh. So they're only within one to two miles of where you are. And so then you have like less flaky people because it is really gifting. It's like a gifting economy that you're able to give things away. And then also if you needed to borrow something like an inflatable mattress, cause your, your family's coming over for the weekend, then you can say, Hey, can I borrow an inflatable mattress? And if people have something you can borrow, then you don't have to go to Amazon and okay. buy it. So I would highly recommend the buy nothing groups. Interesting. I have to see if we have them here in Canada. I've never heard of it. Yeah, I'm sure we do. we do. Yeah, you should. <laughs> I'm sure we do. Okay, Emily, before we talk about the free gift that you have for our, our listeners, uh, do you have any closing comments? Just, I like to tell people that you are worth more than anything you have ever paid for anything in your home. Your peace, your time, those moments that you share with your family, that's more important than any of it. And at least in the uh, American home, supposedly there's 300,000 items. Even if each of those were a dollar, and you're $300,000 worth of stuff, you are worth more than that. And so we need to remember that again, it's that reclamation of what matters most to us. And so I'm, I know you are Lynn, we're cheering you on every step of the way. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And you are offering a free gift. Yeah. So this has been really helpful because a lot of times we get stuck because of mindset blocks around our stuff. Maybe it's how much we paid for it or someone gave it as a gift or we got it as a hand-me-down or we don't want to be wasteful. There's so many. And so I created something called the five mindset shifts to help us let go of clutter. It's just kind of a mini workbook and you can kind of reflect on some of these things to hopefully help you through some of those mindset blocks. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Emily. I think as soon as we're done here, I'm heading into the bathroom and I'm going to go start to go through that. Yay. Yay. Motivated me. I've got about 15 (laughs) minutes to spare, right? 15 minutes to start. All right. Well, we've talked about so much and listeners, uh, you have a Facebook group. You've got a freebie. You've got possible custom poetry. If that's something that's coming up, (laughs) listen to Emily's um, uh, podcast. You can find it, Emily, on anywhere they're listening to you. They can listen to me. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lynn. This was such a pleasure. Don't you just love having guests like Emily? Always something new to think about in terms of how we manage ourselves and our well-being. Now, if you missed the introductory comments and joined us partway through today's show, I gave a shout out to those of you who've posted a review of Taking the Helm and an invitation for you to consider if you haven't done that yet. If you write a review and post it on your favorite podcast app, take a screenshot, email me a copy at lynn at lynnmclaughlin.com, and I will send you a free ebook of one of the five books in the Power of Thought children's book series, which you heard about during the commercial break. Next month, we're welcoming Anne Coleman. Her son struggled with mental illness and drug misuse for a couple of rough years in high school. Her attempt to fix him and control his behavior made things much worse. Luckily, she's managed to turn things around. And since 2018, she's immersed herself in scientific journals and books to learn all she can about adolescents and how to best parent them. Now she wants to help other parents like you better understand your teen or tween and what it takes to guide them successfully to adulthood. Have a fabulous few weeks. Enjoy every minute of the holiday season with your family and friends with gratitude and love. We'll see you in January. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Taking the Helm. We hope that Lynn and her guests have provided valuable insights on how to create a safe emotional space for children and youth that empowers them to be their best selves. It starts with us at home and in our communities. Until we talk again, be well.